0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Rewild My Bio. I am your host, Sean Slade. Thanks for joining me today to discuss all things on how to become your own meteorologist. I'm actually also going to share some turkey hunting stories that I just experienced up on my land. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun doing that, so I have to share that rewilding adventure with all of you. But I want to ask a question. Are you just like me in your, you know tired of looking at that weather app to prepare for an outdoor adventure, only to have what you're being told on the screen to be the exact exact opposite of what is actually happening outside in 3D reality. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of, well, we're going to get into some old wives' tales today. And I'm thinking, uh, it, it's an old joke, but it belongs right there with all these truisms, I'll say, around... Uh, you know, the farmer's almanac and how to predict the weather. And that is meteorologists are the only people who can be wrong all the time and still have a job. And actually, do you want to know what I think? I think they're wrong with the weather forecast purposefully so that they can see how much, you know, they can get away with in regards to how many false or inaccurate statements the news can make and still get people tuning in. I know I sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist, don't I? But Well, at least I'm not talking about chemtrails, I guess I could say, but perhaps I should be for this episode, but I digress because I believe today's topic is not only important, but it's a fun way that we can interact with the natural world. And honestly, right now I'm, you know, I'm thinking of the storms that have recently occurred in the Southern United States with tornadoes and it kind of calls to mind the importance of knowing how to read the elements in different landscapes that you know, we might be interacting in. So I think of, you know, learning our local landscape and practicing, uh, you know, these skills we're going to chat about today in nearby nature, then we can bring these skills into the wilderness or when we go on an adventure or a vacation in a natural setting that might be foreign to us, right? So learning how to predict the weather through observing nature signs and also something we're going to be chatting about today is how to follow our intuition, so how to follow and how to sharpen our intuition, and I believe this is a worthy topic to say the least, so please stick around to the end, and you can find everything we're going to be chatting about today in the show notes over at rewildmybio.com slash how to predict the weather. Enjoy the show. Now before we dive into today's show, I wanted to touch on one thing that is super important for our health, and that is sleep. Did you know that there's one phase of sleep that almost everyone fails to get enough of? And this one phase of sleep is responsible for most of your body's daily rejuvenation, repair, controlling hunger and weight loss hormones, boosting energy, and so much more. And I'm talking about deep sleep. Now, deep sleep is something that I actually have a hard time getting a lot of. Sometimes I'm getting around five to 7% of my night sleep phases in deep sleep. And if you don't get enough deep sleep, you'll probably always struggle with things like cravings, slow metabolism, premature aging even, or even worse conditions. And why don't most people get enough of this important phase of sleep? And a big reason for that is because of magnesium deficiency. Over 80% of the population is actually deficient in magnesium. And now magnesium increases GABA in the brain, which encourages relaxation on a cellular level. This is critical for sleep. magnesium also plays a key role in regulating your body's stress response system those with magnesium deficiency usually have higher anxiety and stress levels which also negatively impacts sleep now before you go out and buy any magnesium supplement it's important to understand that most magnesium products out there are either synthetic or they only have one to two forms of magnesium in them when the reality is your body needs all seven forms of this essential sleep mineral. That's why I recommend a product by my friends over at BioOptimizers. They created this product called Magnesium Breakthrough. And taking this magnesium before bed helps you relax and wake up refreshed and feeling energized. The deep sleep benefits are actually noticeable. And I will say that from firsthand experience. I also love the Biooptimizers optimizers offers free shipping on select orders. And they also offer a 365-day money-back guarantee on all their products. Plus, they have a customer satisfaction rating of 99.3%. Impressive stuff indeed. So you can get 10% off Magnesium Breakthrough. It's the best aid I know of for boosting deep sleep. And you can get that over at biooptimizers.com forward slash rewildmybio. And be sure to use the code RewildMyBio. For 10% off at checkout. So again, that's B I O P T I M I Z E R S dot com forward slash Rewild My Bio. Enjoy. Welcome to Rewild My Bio, self help and alternative health podcast. I'm your host, Sean Slade. Join me as I share stories, science, and strategies to help you rewild your biology and redefine your biography. So, as an entry in my rewilding and naturalist lifestyle biography, I'm going to share a story of a recent turkey hunt that uh, was successful and rewarding in all sorts of ways. And that recently occurred four days up on my land, which I have the gift of stewarding and caretaking and Really, just connecting with it's been uh, the amount of turkeys up there, and just being able to interact with this creature, and the whole experience those four days have given me a new perspective, and just a, a deep love and admiration for these magical, mystical birds. Uh, it was honestly it was a, it was a lot of fun, and I got to do some hunting with my brother, which was great, and so he came up for a couple days. And uh, we we did some other things as well, like getting drywall ready. Because if you uh, if you don't know, I am currently in the process of building a home on this uh, you know this beautiful piece of, of land up in the Canadian Shield, and this being you know future home of of all things workshop and and home base for the podcast and, um, you know, the the farming and, and all things that I'm looking to bring, uh, bring to life in in the world of, you know, plant medicine uh, through this e-commerce site, which I've mentioned before in the podcast. But if you're, if you're new to the podcast, then that's a quick update. But uh, anyway, so that's, that's the setting anyways, it's, it's up there. And, and as I mentioned, the turkeys are plentiful. It's, uh, it's kind of funny because I moved up to that neck of the woods, as I mentioned, for uh, for farming, the other part would would be to to hunt more, right? Or to hunt, have a piece of property where I could um, hopefully hunt white tailed deer. And and uh, the funny thing is, is that it seems like both those things are not necessarily that area is not necessarily the best for those things. So one farming, I'm in a I'm in like a zone three four, right underneath Algonquin Provincial Park, right. So um, very cold, again ro- rocky, as I mentioned, the Canadian Shield being full of rocks so uh, when it comes to farming it's you know just different I guess I should say than what I'm used to in southwestern Ontario in like a zone six and seven right so so anyways it's um yeah so it's it's just uh it's just different in that regard and then with with whitetail hunting it's whitetail deer are very scarce at least in this neck of the woods you have to get deeper into the the backcountry into the crown land and whatnot to find some of these Some of these white-tailed deer, which which are there, but of course moose being in the area, elk also in the area. So this area isn't necessarily managed for white-tailed deer. Um, Not to say they're not there. It's just sometimes you'd have a better time spotting an elk, which are also kind of uh, scarce when it comes to eastern Ontario, Um, despite the elk being actually released, I believe, in 2012 um, by the Ministry of Natural Resources here in Ontario, and I believe, I mean, and, and they were they were released maybe about 20 kilometers or 20. 20 minutes or so away from from this property so anyways um white-tailed deer scarce um so turkey being just abundant up there and and again me coming from carolinian forest southwestern ontario with predominantly uh, you know big ag fields right so your your corn and soy and wheat and what have you uh turkeys you know white-tailed deer being everywhere so when I moved up there, I was kind of surprised to see how well Turkey are doing up there. And I mean, I, I, a reason why I wanted to mention this is partly from a conservation standpoint, when, when looking at hunting Turkey in Southwestern Ontario, a lot of talk amongst hunters, um, and conservationists that Turkey populations, uh, not only in Southwestern Ontario, but even throughout parts of the United States are lower, um, in areas where they, you know, were Introduced and have been thriving for some time. So, um, up there in the Canadian Shield, it seems to be uh, opposite. Com- uh, just turkeys again everywhere, and large mature birds, toms uh, gobbling off the roost, and just like a, just honestly, it's just trophy turkey country in in the sense of uh, just trophy, like the, the landscape itself, just being uh, for me, anyways. Again, hunting in in Carolinian forests and being able to go up and hunt where, you know black bears could be uh curious as to your call or wolves for that matter or other critters not to say that that happened or i was you know concerned about that but Mm -hmm. but that said the bears are up and out of their dens and and uh they're roaming around so uh, it was just amazing to be up there in that landscape and having you know things like loons in the morning uh doing a mating call which is something if you've never ever heard a, a loons mating call it's it's quite majestic um and uh, just, just beautiful, awesome, um, I guess, nature connection time for me, not really having much to look forward to as far as like, you know, adventures or backcountry trips planned right now as I'm, you know, working on finishing up my PhD dissertation. So to have this kind of in my calendar, it was, it was, it was, I was looking forward to it. And it was very beneficial as far as just some quiet time and, you know, sitting at the base of a tree, what have you, but as for the hunts themselves, if you're looking for the hunting story, I mean, lots of exciting, action-packed uh, stories. I probably, you know, bear crawled good three hundred yards at least, and you know, it was, uh, it was just I think, uh, like turkeys can be frustrating when you're hunting turkeys, calling to them, moving. It's that uh, you know, should I move? Should I stay? Should we call? Should we use decoys? So we, these turkeys were are seeing us in my neighborhood there is some farm field in throughout this obviously r- r- dense forest up there in eastern Canada or Eastern Ontario rather and so this area having you know grass fields and and, and rolling hills and whatnot you can um, you can expect turkeys to be out there throughout the day where they can see and feel comfortable so um yeah we we were basically blind hunting the first day and uh didn't have any me and my brother were both sitting in hoping to see two toms that have been kind of showing up on my trail cameras. Hope to have them show up. Um, they kind of did what old toms do and kind of hung up um, when they didn't see something they didn't like, so they didn't come in. So anyways, the end of that day, um, seeing as it was, I've never killed been successful at killing a turkey before, uh, two jakes came in and an older jake, or a, a more mature jake, I guess, uh, that I ended up shooting. And so that was fun and exciting because my gun had actually uh, misfired and or didn't fire at all so I, I was without a gun so I grabbed my brother's gun to do the job and um, that gun being out of whack was kind of a, a little it was my uncle's gun and my uncle uh, you know essentially got me into hunting and my uncle has since passed away so I I have his turkey hunting shotgun and so I'm thinking that was a little bit of a sign um, from him as to check this gun out I didn't check the gun out however and then the next day um, basically shot at a large tom and missed completely missed this bird and I don't know how it happened Um, but anyways the next day when I finally killed my tom um, before shooting that bird I had realized that my the sights on my uh, shotgun were off so the beads were not lined up essentially Um, and so that's kind of one it was nice to know that you know it was a clean mess took that off my conscience anyways that you know it wasn't something that I did because I was you know you go from these highs to these lows right with with turkey hunting and but the goal is to obviously just accept it and and learn from it so um, when I actually got to see that my gun was off that was somewhat of a relief anyway so but anyways I, I still was able to that bird was probably 10 yards so the sights once I realized that I didn't necessarily need them and was able to kill that bird so I was able to tag out up there on the land and felt really good to do that because as I mentioned first birds five years in the making um having you know hunted turkeys actually for some time with a bow I think of the five years maybe two or three of those were with a bow and then um just never really getting a lot of turkey hunting time in the woods since I've had my gun license so the shotgun being the tool of choice here and uh yeah, just amazing birds, amazing experience. Um again, just like as I mentioned, just like it's the it's the quiet sitting there at the, the base of a tree waking up with the natural world and at the same time that natural movement and you know, even when I shot at that bird, obviously I made sure I didn't hit the bird, so I'm you know, climbing through brush where I normally wouldn't be and uh you know, getting low looking under things and and uh, so yeah, just a lot of physical activity and movement and a lot of you know gifted with this beautiful meat which has been awesome and if um you know things like I'm I'm thinking things that I've already made out of it wonderful stock out of out of the bird um, both birds rather and then uh, the stuffed turkey breast that I ate and made and ate just wow delicious so um things like that you know and I, I I'm a much better cook than I am a hunter that's for sure so when it comes to you know fully paying my respect to this animal on the plate um you know it's there's no corners cut I guess in, in the process and I was just grateful to bring this home and it, it's something to share with my partner who she likes that white meat um you know turkey breast it's she prefers that and uh so yeah just to be able to have that and share that and the dark meat also I think anyone who throws out turkey dark meat um I think there should be a rule against that um a little bit of time in a slow cooker and made some tacos out of that dark meat and just beautiful awesome meat just picking you know obviously taking care to pick the tendons or the bones out of that you know um, once before you kind of pull it apart I think that's important so um, but yeah delicious delicious meat so that's turkey hunting and it was um, something I'm yeah looking forward to do next year and then whether it's with family or friends who are looking to get out there and have a a really good turkey hunting experience to share that with them because yeah looking at turkeys there it's just um plentiful they are indeed so great times and yeah if 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 you've been turkey hunting and you enjoy turkey hunting or you um you know are someone who might be interested in having that experience then uh hit me up you know through the website or it, you know through sean at rewildmybio.com um because yeah i think the idea for me anyways in creating workshops having opportunities for people to hunt is i think would be an amazing amazing thing so how how to work that out is something i'm still keen on learning as to what people might be interested in so the topic at hand for today is how to use nature sign and clues from observing the elements to predict the weather so yes after today's episode you will be able to be your own meteorologist you can throw out the apps not exactly this practice you know it takes time it's it's honestly it's a forgotten skill um, and it's one that I've been keen on enhancing or should I say it's a part of myself that I've been keen on reawakening because I believe this to be a ancient part of ourselves it is deep within our DNA to know how to predict and tell the weather and basically decide all the things that we need to decide on from you know knowing the weather in the day right it's an important thing to know so you know Make no mistake, this process doesn't happen overnight. It it truly is a process of what I would say is like a deep remembering. And it's a process of becoming more closely tuned into the subtle energies of nature. And of course, the subtle energies of our own body, right? So we're cluing in, observing nature, but also cluing into ourselves and trusting our intuition, right? So, um, you know, we can, through doing this, we can, it's not only about, being able to tell what the weather is doing, right? We can tell what plants are edible, uh, you know, how to find water, how to find food, how to navigate throughout the landscape, you know, to reach our destination. Um, And, you know, and in in those times that, you know, say we can't predict the weather, um, through the same, you know, process of deep remembering these skills, we can control things like our body functions, Right. So, and this is all just with our focus and with our attention. Now, if this sounds a little woo-woo for you, then I ask, you know, I ask you obviously with this podcast as always to remain open-minded. And I mean, for example, just look at some of the amazing stuff someone like Wim Hof can do has come to mind right now, right? With body control. So these are, you know, skills through like breathing and cold exposure, you can control body temperature, Right. Same thing goes here when it comes to interacting with the natural landscape, we can, uh, you know, through focused attention, and our intention, attention and intention, we can do amazing things. So I'll, I'll also be going through so I'm not just touching on this intuitive side or this deep remembering side of things, we're also gonna be going through practical skills, like how to predict other predict the weather. So like, what changing pressure means and some of those common phrases that we've all heard about the weather um, you know I'm sure we've all heard those you know old wives tales as they're known as so I'll also be talking about how you know things like a sit spot and a weather journal could just be you know one of the best ways to improve your meteorologist skills so the primal self We're going to start there with this intuitive side of the coin so the primal self it's a part it's a part of ourselves it's a part of our psyche or our soul and i think of it as those parts of our ancient dna that are stored in you know they're stored in our psyche they're stored in the ethereal or in the soul and um you know this is going back from those times as uh, as the great ape throughout history right, so in these times, there is this remembering that our DNA has, and this, I mean, this isn't a physical part of our body, like, say, our brain, or our heart, or, or what have you, it's more so, think of it, let's say, it is essentially a frequency that we can tune into, and through tuning into this level of awareness, through focused attention and intention, we can receive knowledge, right, um, so it is a part of us, and we can access it through, you know, our felt sensations, through intuition right so um, once we've tuned into this we're using certain cues to know this language in this world right because we're not communicating with nature necessarily through what we're we're not through the English language whether we put words to it after is another thing but this is just like any other sense this is a sensorial part of our consciousness Um, so this is not the thinking or left brain kind of stuff so we remember everything. We remember all of these skills, but much of these ancient skills, um, they take a quiet mind, free of clutter and all the modern day noise, I'll say, that we deal with, uh, you know, when we're in the matrix, when we're in the day-to-day, if we're in the urban environment, if we're around a lot of, uh, you know, built environment and, and human-made noise, um, then it, this, I find it makes it more difficult to um achieve this. Now, I think with practice, you know, you can get a a monk kind of meditating in the middle of a, you know, on the busy subway and and reaching amazing, you know, states of consciousness, right? So um, I'll say this, like, if if you're keen on learning more um, about this, like, I'm kind of getting into this aspect of, uh, you know, the mind, consciousness, and you're probably wondering like Sean what are you talking about where are where did you hear this so I've when I say this is a part of self, this primal self is a part of our soul or you know part of self. this is something I've learned through my teacher who spent years and years studying the ways of uh, grandfather stalking wolf uh, through a New Jersey school Tom Brown Jr.'s tracker school which I've mentioned here before on the podcast um, and you know some of this curriculum i'm creating for the nature academy um will be a mismatch of these teachings that i've got from my teacher um and you know it's it's, and of course things that i've applied in the past with you know my life coaching holistic life coaching clients and what have you but what i'm mentioning is ultimately a part of the grander spiritual philosophy so i do want to kind of pay credit and and you know i'll put that in the show notes um because today's yeah I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole of all the different realms of the self, but, um, this is something, yeah, again, this aspect that we're focusing on today is the primal self. So, um, and I should actually just pause and say, if you are keen on learning more, you know, in a formal setting, and I've said this once already here today, but contact me, um, by emailing me at Sean at rewild by bio.com. I hope to be getting a lot more, uh, questionnaires out in interest or just to see what people are interested in learning in these types of nature connection, uh, courses that i'm going to be offering so um yeah again everything in the show notes if you're looking for i'll put a link to tom brown jr school um if you aren't familiar with that you can check it out i'll put that again in the show notes at rewildmybio.com slash how to predict the weather in fact while i think about it uh, that's one other thing that i was wanting to put in the show notes is a few books from carl young uh, about the fusion of nature with our psyche so if you're someone who you know might think this is just a little weird and woo-woo before we get to the actual practical things or those you know tested farmers almanac uh you know observations of, of nature uh yeah i'd say the carl Jung stuff that i'd like to to mention anyways it's just uh you know looking at how through dream work we can access these ancient parts of ourselves so this isn't just woo-woo um spiritual nonsense this these mm-hmm. are again tested psychological uh, you know practices and things that we can do through connecting with nature to access this so let's briefly discuss how to achieve i think where to go with this is how to achieve this state of being or consciousness before i get into some of those practical tips about reading nature sign in order to harness this ability this part of ourself we need to go there we need to tune into that part of ourselves And what I mean by going there is I would say meditate, right? So setting the intention, so quieting your mind, setting the intention that you would like to access this part of yourself purely on the idea of saying, I want to go there. That is your intention. So set the intention and then totally quiet your mind and go into a meditation. Whatever meditation process seems to work for you, but something where you're essentially trying to quiet your mind and receive a message as to what you're asking for and i think this is the most important part which you know something i still always wrestle with rather is trusting what you get you have to trust what you get when you are meditating and you know setting these intentions um you can't necessarily change it no i don't like that right it's it's what you get is what you get um and i think by meditating and you know setting this intention going there we're strengthening this muscle or this ability right it's like if you've done mindfulness meditation before or say say you haven't say just connecting with nature is your thing so that expansive sense of self that we get when we're in a quiet comfortable non-threatening natural environment that state of being is essentially the state that we need to go to so by asking that question um you know saying I want to access my primal self that would be the first part and, and, and that's just getting familiar with what that part of yourself feels like what it feels like when you get a message you know in that state of being right so in that frequency because without knowing what that feels like you're not going to be able to really understand you know what you're getting and or even from there you're not even necessarily able to say uh ask those questions those other important questions that we might want to ask like is this plant edible, right? Or in regards to the weather, you know, is a storm coming? What, how do I need to prepare? What do I need to dress, right? So, so we can ask those specific questions once we're, once we've accessed this part of ourselves. So, um, you know, and from, there's a, again, I've mentioned, but what would you be interested in knowing? And I see there's, you know, context in, in a little bit of stuff that I'm skipping over here in regards to saying go there. But meditating and setting attention intention is a good place to start with with, with specifically this. Cause so I think this paired with the observation and you know a little bit of knowledge on observation and what to look for and then trusting your intention. It's just a way to practice this, right? So there's no right or wrong way to do this. So me skipping over aspects of, you know, these aspects of ourselves and how to go there. I would just say get into those states where you're quieting your your mind right and then other than quieting your mind let's say if how about whether you do that or not mindfully engaging with nature would be another way to to go there and to access this right so by mindfully engaging with nature ideally we're going into nature quietly we're going into nature slowly uh with an openness to whatever maybe arises and we're we're going you know conscious of our breathing and just aware of ourself I guess right and how we're interacting so we're going in in a sense that we're trying to you know pay respect or in a respectful way into the forest i find by doing that and mindfully engaging with our senses um we can really start to quiet our mind and um again kind of access these other parts of ourselves so again if meditating is not your your bag or your one to more so go into nature just we'll go into nature and start using that sixth sense that you you feel You know, if you've ever had the draw or the pull to a certain tree or a certain plant, um, you know that's that sixth sense kind of pulling towards you. And might you might feel that in your chest, you might feel that in your hand, you might get a you know a vision or a, a word even to say you know come this way, right? So so mindfully engaging with nature and following that, using your intuition, it's a great way to kind of you know awake reawaken this primal self. Another way would be to make it a game, play. You know, think. I'm thinking of making it an adventure. Go out into nature with that adventure mindset, um, or that child's eye, right? And go into nature with a sense of play, and and make that your purpose, just to have fun, right? Walk through the forest quietly, or you know, jump from log to log, um, get low, get your hands dirty. Think of things that you would have maybe done in nature as a kid, and essentially do that right and do that for a period of time and that will get you into somewhat of a flow state get you out of your head so to speak right out of the left brain into that more felt awareness state and by doing all these three things um, we're really able to I guess set an intention and receive information and if we're tuned into that subtle energy rather than that constant story we might be telling ourselves or the the to-do list we can tune into that subtle energy we can start to ask those questions in that frequency and then we'll know when we get an answer right so in regards to weather we could ask lots of different questions right like i'm heading out for a walk right so one easy way to do this let's say if we've meditated or we're, we're engaging our sixth sense in nature or, or we're playing in nature often then let's say we need to we want to know what the weather's going to be like well one like i said before don't use the app walk outside walk outside put your hand out you can tell what nature or what the weather is like right now but if you want to know what is to come ask that question go to that place go to that feeling or that state of consciousness right that uh, sense of oneness or whatever that feeling that primal self feeling feels like to you feel that go there and then essentially ask the question like what is and i guess the question is an important part to ask because you want to ask what you're actually looking for so be specific with your question that's a tricky part you know what is the weather going to be like this afternoon or should i you know is it going to rain asking specific questions like that and then just waiting and feeling right seeing what seeing what comes um now you couple this with sure looking at the app because we're not going to throw that completely out the window Um, and knowing what's coming as well as some observation you know resorting to your journal knowing the time of the year knowing your microclimate all these other things Um, and you really can set yourself up for an enjoyable time in nature because you don't have to worry about having to you know you didn't wear the right hat because of the wind or there's too much sun and you didn't cover yourself up and you're going to be out you know, in that specific landscape in an area where sun could be a safety problem, right? So things like that, it's, it's by tapping into this primal self, we have these levels of awareness come online, and we can use them together, you know, and it's and it makes sense to us. Because honestly, these are skills that we have forgotten, we have no need to do this in a, in a world where you just have to click a button on your phone. And that's how most people are seeing, you know, what the weather is doing. But again, I have big concerns, caution to just head down that rabbit hole and just forego yet another amazing human quality. One of these things that make us amazing as human beings is our ability to be one with nature. We are nature after all. So, I mean, to lose this I think is just a shame. And again, it's a great way to connect with nature and, and kind of turn uh, nature connection or nature interaction and immersion into somewhat of a game, if you will, and something that you can work at and see if if it works for you, right? I mean, it works for me, and that's why I say I think it's just super important to, uh, to harness these abilities and to share them and to, yeah, just see, I like to see how, you know, what the types of things that I do, what type of results I get from them. So this is just another area I get to practice that. So if there's one thing to take away from all that it would be to just follow your gut, ask the question quiet the mind and you'll know what's coming. And again, that applies to more things than the weather. But if you're looking for practical things to know beyond exploring the realms of our psyche, weather folklore, it has always been a big part of the farmer's almanac. And long before, you know, there were scientific instruments to measure and predict the weather, people used the instrument they had, which is the power of obs- observation, which I love because this is like citizen scientist type stuff. And this is, I think, the most powerful way that sa- to conduct science is in the hands of the citizens, of the people. Anyways, my initial knowledge on weather, I would say, came from, you know, all the old farmer's phrases, and we'll touch on them in a minute. But um, again, without scientific tools, our best ways to predict the weather really is through our observation, our regular mindful attention to the weather when we are in nature. Now, I just mentioned that putting your hand out the window or out the door or stepping outside and just quieting your mind and listening for a minute is way better than looking at an app and saying, What's the weather gonna be like outside? Now I know if it's cold weather climates, winter time, you probably don't want to just go outside and do that. But that it truly is the best way to kind of climatize yourself, you know, see, acclimate and see what exactly it is like out. What does it feel like? That's the best way. I'd say stop using the app to see what it is like out in the moment. You can do that by going outside. To predict, you know, the weather, you're gonna want to know your local weather patterns. That's the most important. Knowing your local weather is, you know, number one. Some areas have microclimates where they may have, you know, rain every day at a certain time. I'm thinking of when I traveled to places like Costa Rica or Peru. This happens because of mountains and rainforests. Florida is another place I know. This is also a case where you know it might rain for an hour of the day every day so it's difficult you know right now i'm thinking it's difficult for me to learn the weather up where i'm currently living up north or where i'm you know moving to because it's almost you know considered mountain elevation i think i'm at like 420 meters above sea level 500 being considered mountain range right so it is the highlands and it is very difficult to you know predict the weather when i'm used to flat open can see what's coming for you know for miles right so um i'd say a great way to get to know your local weather patterns and something i'm looking forward to doing when i'm up on my land more regularly is to you know have a sit spot and again a sit spot is for anyone who doesn't know a place in nature you go to on a regular basis to develop a relationship with that place and the natural elements around you in that natural and that natural local ecology it's a sit spot's kind of like a meditation but with your eyes open and you're using all the senses with a you know a fascination for the natural environment around you right so you're being fascinated with what's around you and again you're developing a sense of presence on that landscape and ultimately you're cultivating relationship with nature Um, many stress reduction benefits and you know well just about anything you want from that experience Uh, you know it's an opportunity for reflection an opportunity to just be you know to learn about local plants and wildlife learn about the seasons, see how water drains all sorts of things you can essentially you know gain from this experience so a sit spot being a great way to learn your local weather patterns on top of that would be to keep a weather journal or a weather diary um, you know, so by having that daily sit spot, we can start to learn and observe our local weather patterns. But then we start to take notes and we start to compare what we observe, you know, to what the meteorologists or the app, you know, what they got wrong or what they're saying. And we can compare our notes year after year and, you know, see exactly, start to see what certain patterns are and you know, I think I, I remember on the farm growing up as a kid. This was my grandma's task. You know, this was her. She would keep this journal on the coffee table in the living room, and you know, she would keep this notebook for a notebook for each year, and she could compare for herself from year to year. Um, I think she was an originator of many of the old wives' tales. You know, um, that we'll touch on here in a little bit. But yeah, I think she really, you know, when it comes to the weather she had this down and and that was just because it was a practice that was done every day so again with the sit spot this journal things that we hope you know things are are great practices to do in nature anyways um just yeah putting down the temperature and and what your overall you know uh just jot down your observations the temperature the prevailing weather for that day you know something you could do at the end of the day and say, you know what was the day like um what it felt like to you right when when the when the clouds broke open or when the rain came um you know and that's another way to kind of harness this intuition what was those intuitive hits that i was getting before the weather did i hear the voice say that it's gonna rain put your roof up or whatever right so um yeah like i think that uh by jotting down these observations um you basically have a barometer marking down you know i i I, as to what what is what is happening you have your own internal barometer right um and i'd say yeah if you have an actual barometer also you know uh marking down what that says and checking that and and how you feel as the as the pressure's rising or falling right um if you have a rain gauge you know check that as well how much rain did you get Uh, you could you could also look at your app and just record what's there but again we know that a lot of times that's wrong and it'd be better to, for you to see what it's like in your neck of the woods. So there's all sorts of other gauges and gadgets you can get to, you know, observe the wind in your in your area. Um, you know, and yeah, yeah, you could just record what the weather person's saying but I highly urge everyone this is an opportunity to become your own scientist and at the same time sharpen your intuition. I would also say that, you know, if you're a gardener, I'm just thinking the importance of this becomes greater, you know, as you'll get to understand how soil drains during certain times of the years and with various levels of precipitation. So different levels of depth, I think, that you could go into based on what you're looking to get out of this practice and process. So one important thing that we're going to talk about here today is barometric pressure. So high pressure, in short, I guess I could say, high pressure is that nice, you know, sunny and clear weather and low pressure is the cloudy and rainy, however often warmer end of that spectrum. So high pressure, and again, understanding the difference here and tools we can use like a barometer are gonna play a big role, I think, in helping us understand this and helping us understand what changing pressure feels like in our bodies. So high pressure days, you know, we naturally want to be outside and moving. and low pressure days, are the days we might feel like staying inside or lounging around. So simply by, you know, if you know your body well enough and you, let's say, feel like you don't know nature that well, if you know your body and you know that you don't feel like doing much that day, just take a look at a barometer or look at what the pressure is doing where if it's changing more so, if it's going to that lower pressure, it's a good chance that like right in those times or leading, in and around those times, you're you're feeling like you don't want to necessarily move around or, or be outside and, and animals are like that as well right so we'll talk here in a minute about different uh you know animal sign that can help us here and actually before we go any further i'm just thinking about achy joints right everyone knows someone potentially who says oh they can predict when a storm is coming because of a of a achy or sore joint and i mean i would say this is heavily debated in the world of science some people saying there's not enough there to support this others you know in Saying that it's anecdotal evidence supporting this, but it, as I'll explain barometric pressure in a minute, it, it does make sense in the, in the sense of low pressure coming with rain and and the weight of uh, of the air pushing down. So individuals with chronic inflammatory conditions or you know joint pain, arthritis, things like that definitely can see a greater fluctuation. Now I think even individuals who are removing. Inflammatory foods and trying, you know, exercising and doing what they can to reduce inflammation. I'd say maybe it's a little more subtle, but it's definitely still there, and it's a it's a tool or it's something that we can use, of course, to help us predict the weather. So, before we get into talking about pressure, I would say get a good barometer. I remember growing up, my dad has has this night this very nice barometer on the wall. It's almost like kind of like grandfather clock esque. you know beautiful piece of you know really art in the home but it serves a purpose and I always remember my dad going up to the wall and and tapping the wall and you know setting setting the barometer and seeing where the pressure would be going and again my dad you know other than having hobby farm or a small garden at, at that time anyways really had no you know need to know what the weather was doing other than he was interested in interested in it so i grew up grew up around this and i mean if you don't know what a barometer is it's essentially it's a a scientific instrument it's used to measure atmospheric pressure um, or barometric pressure as it's called so the atmosphere you know is has layers of air that are wrapped around the earth and that air essentially has a weight and you know it presses against everything it touches and you know as gravity Pulls that to the earth, um, so a barometer will essentially measure this pressure. And so, how it predicts the the weather essentially is by you know, if a barometer has a high reading, it, it means that there's high pressure, and if it's stable, it indicates good weather, right? So if it's not changing, so if you set it at a point and it's staying there, it's not changing. We have good weather in those high pressure times. Um, a barometer that's falling however that that would indicate that you know a low pressure system is moving in and you can ideally expect poor weather so you ideally you know use a barometer um it's widely used basically like i said to to measure atmospheric pressure and um it's it's one of the basic tools i think you can get other than having obviously a, a thermometer right um and again i mentioned it having like two hands and one is that measuring hand, and the other is a movable pointer that you can adjust, um, essentially. And by doing that, you, again, you're, you're setting it, and then you're tapping the wall to get an accurate reading. It, it will adjust. Um, and yeah, from there, you can, you can measure the pressure. So if it's a sunny day, and let's just say, for examples here, there's a lot of wind. Well wind is an indicator that there's a temperature change coming so there's warm air or cold air moving in somewhere and that is forcing the you know it's forcing the environment basically to create wind so also in a a mountain environment i'm thinking looking at say like cloud patterns um, this will help you know what's coming in so for example seeing like long wispy or thin clouds these um They're known as mares' tails, right? So thinking of a horse's tail. Um, So you kind of see like big clouds and then these like tails coming off them sometimes. And um, they almost look like kind of like jet, you know how jets leave that mark in the sky after they dissipate. Um, And no, I'm not talking about chemtrails again. But uh, when you see these mares' tails, this means you're at the edge of a front and there is high altitude wind trading place. And your weather, this normally indicates that your weather will be changing in the next, you know, 24, 36 hours or so. So so let's say you're out camping and you want to know what type of pressure you're dealing with. Well, you don't, and you don't have your barometer there with you, obviously. You can look at your campfire. If the smoke of your campfire is going straight up and above the fire, you have high pressure. If the smoke is staying low and like blown around you or you're getting hit in the face, with it you have low pressure so it's kind almost think of like a ceiling fan that's pushing the smoke back down at a certain point once it rises that would indicate low pressure so knowing what the pressure is doing um is possible you know also i'm thinking when you're near trees uh, or in a forest um, i grew up with this as my indicator having a forest in my backyard um if you look at the leaves of deciduous trees like say maples poplars i had a bunch of poplars and oaks and often they would be turned upward before a heavy rain so the leaves are actually reacting to the increase in humidity that usually you know precedes a storm with that low pressure so leaves with soft stems specifically they become limp essentially in response to that abrupt change in humidity and that you know basically allows the wind to flip them over. So also birds will fly lower during these times with low pressure. So birds are very sensitive to, to the pressure. Uh, another indicator of low pressure uh, or, you know, that rain might be coming is by looking at insects. If uh, it's a high-pressure day, the bugs really won't be bothering you. Uh, you know, they'll be out happy doing their thing just like you are on those low pressure days however bugs like black flies and mosquitoes um, they get a little hangry if you will and you'll notice their biting activity pick up just before a rain so again that low pressure kind of carries that moist air where these types of insects venture out from the ponds and standing waters they do most of their you know biting and and feeding at and this is when they'll, they'll travel out so you'll just paying attention to that right there will tell you a change is coming or, or, or rains on the way and, and that's that sign obviously being kind of right before a rain I, I think really something i've noticed as being a good indicator another way um to use insects to determine if a storm is coming is by looking at a beehive if you have bees um you know if they're swarming near the hive it means they're basically looking to get indoors and out of the rain so if you notice fresh um I think other insects here now, if, if, if you notice like fresh walls or cones around ant hills, it means they're protecting their nest from a rain that's coming. So again, looking at ant hills is another way to predict what's happening with the pressure. Now, another area outside of pressure, I think pressure being the main thing to kind of get a sense of in our bodies get a sense of by looking at these tools and and learning pressure and changes observing changes in nature is a great way to connect and interact with nature and again as a reflective process also in our life and just kind of you know taking questions to to nature and asking questions and seeing what arises using nature as a mirror obviously being a, a a great practice to you know reduce stress and whatnot give meaning in life and so anyways i think um Yeah, getting used to pressures through a sit spot, through observation, through journaling, and through that felt awareness or intuition is a great idea. Predicting winter weather and even just winter survival is something that, you know, we haven't really touched on much here on the podcast, but I think when it comes to predicting winter weather, there are some, you know, interesting old wise tales and and other things I think would be fun to go over. Um, And I mean, I think predicting weather in the winter it has a certain draw to it because obviously traveling potentially becoming more dangerous during the season. In fact, we, you know, we could do a whole podcast on just that winter survival topic, but regardless, um, it's good to know what, you know, weather or maybe predicting what, how hard a winter might be coming up. Um, I know I've been spoofing on the weather people, but, they're still relevant and i think you know especially in the winter time right checking to see what the forecast is doing before you head on to the roads that's an important thing um but one thing like let's get into practical things for winter and even like how can you tell if a winter storm is going to be a bad one i find if you look at the size of the snowflakes that's helpful um if the roads have been cleared of snow you know and you are wondering what the drive will be like once snow starts to fall you can tell whether or not you're going to need to get the snow shovel out or the snow plows are going to need to hit the road. Um, If you're looking at larger snowflakes falling, that often means there will not be a lot of snow accumulation. Small snowflakes, however, on the other hand, normally mean that a good amount will accumulate. Now, that's not a hard, fast rule. It's something I've noticed. Um, Another thing about, again, predicting what type of winter is coming, I've heard, you know, you're into collecting acorns then you may know that when the shells of acorns are thicker a harsher or colder winter is on its way same rule goes for say corn husks when corn husks are thicker um but a proverb or old wives tale that i feel i feel like i've debunked um you know is that pine cone on a tree can determine a bad winter period um you know i recently we had this happen the past year, tons of pine cones. Everyone was saying it, and then the winter wasn't that bad, right? So, I've heard that pine cones take three years to or so to grow. So, it's more so about them experiencing good growing conditions than it is about them predicting the winter. So, um, you know, I can't honestly. I can't say predicting how bad a winter is uh, going to be is something that I know how to do at this point in my life. But again, through accessing our primal self, and I think this is something that is possible. Uh, I just can't say it's something I've been able to dabble into or or have had much success in predicting. Now, I want to close today's podcast with some of those common phrases that are legit. Well, they're more like rules. They're not really laws, but I feel like there's something worth knowing. And I got a few of them here that I'm going to say to wrap up today's podcast. And that one is that we've all heard it, red skies at night sailors delight red skies at morning sailors take warning that can also be used interchangeably with the word campers instead of sailors and you know we all love a beautiful sunrise or sunset because of the way the sun's rays illuminate the underside of the clouds and that you know that essentially causes them to look red orange or or pink so if the sky is red in the morning it means there's clouds that are coming in from the west essentially and you know could possibly Underlining possibly bring bad weather. On the other hand, red sunset at night means clear skies are on the way. So um, there is a little bit of truth to that. I mean, I've used that one and I'd say, yes, definitely something to remember. The other one, frog croaking in lagoon means rain is coming soon. This one for sure works. So if you have bodies of water around listening to the frogs and knowing when they're going off, is something to pay attention to. Frogs are cold-blooded and they require relatively high temperatures to be active, right? So they also like water, right, and need to have moist skin. So when there is humidity along with higher temperatures, they tend to get rather excited and become vocal. Of course, that high humidity is also a sign that rain is coming. So pretty good indicator with the frogs. The last one I'm going to touch on is doing in the grass, no rain shall come to pass. So this one also works, in my opinion, Do forms basically when a surface cools during a clear night. Clear nights, again, high pressure, often have that cool air at nighttime when things cool off in the daytime. So this will often mean that you have, you know, a clear high pressure day coming on the way as well. So I would say from my experience growing up, you know, knowing this one to be pretty accurate, getting out there in the farm fields early in the morning. And if, you know, if there's a lot of dew on the bushes, on the berry bushes, on the grass, then yeah, there's likely going to be a clear high day or a high pressure day. Well, folks, that will do it for today. Thanks so much for listening. If there's anything you want to add to today to today's podcast or if there's anything that you feel like I could have, you know, I got wrong with these old wives tales or if something you want to add again, let me know at the show notes. I'll put it out in the newsletter as an appendix to this episode because yeah, I think uh, there's so many people out there that I have probably more experience with, you know, truly intuitively feeling the weather and predicting the weather. So I hope today's podcast gives you guys some tools. I know, you know, I'm thinking of my upbringing around, you know, in the farm and that and my grandma inventing these old wives tales Um, I think that, that these, you know, I'm, it's something I have a little bit experience with and again, tapping into whether it is observing, you know, through sit spot, through, through journaling the weather, or whether it is through intuitively kind of feeling the weather and knowing what these pressure changes feel like in our body and, and how that represents in us. Um, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of fun practice here. And so if you're interested in learning more about these realms of the self and learning how to connect with nature in this way, also, please let me know email me sean at rewildmybio.com again i'd be really interested in knowing what types of things listeners are into learning so when it comes to me crafting up these workshops here you know I, i i'm doing something that you the listener want to experience and learn so thank you everyone out there for listening if you enjoyed this episode please share this with a friend and of course stay wild Thanks for listening to this episode of Rewild My Bio. Please leave a rating and review as this helps others find the show and helps me make the show better. Thanks to today's sponsors and thank you to the listeners who support the show through using the discount codes and, of course, sharing the podcast with their friends. If you want more nature connection and rewilding content, please sign up for my newsletter by visiting www.rewildmybio.com or follow me on social media. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, stay wild.